Hi, everybody. It's Devan Molyneux from Freedom Aid Radio. I hope that you're doing very well. Look, it's like you're photocopying my face. So I'd like to just a uh, quick uh, shout-out to um, our good friend, the Jewish zombie, who just had his uh, resurrection day uh, yesterday, March the 23rd, on Easter. And this, I'd like to um, talk about an article that was in the Globe and Mail on Saturday, the 23rd, and it's called Taking the Christ, or Taking Christ Out of Christianity, Leaving Just the Word Inanity. And let's have a look at what our fine pastor, Reverend Greta Vosper of West Hill United Church, has to say, and um, then I'll have a few things to say. Um... That triumphal barn burner of an Easter hymn, Jesus Christ has risen today, hallelujah, this morning, will rock the walls of Toronto's West Hill United Church, as it will in most Christian churches across the country. But at West Hill, on the faith's holiest day, it will be done with a huge difference. The words, Jesus Christ, will be excised from what the congregation sings and replaced with glorious hope. Thus, it will be hope that is declared to be resurrected, an expression of renewal of optimism and the human spirit, but not Jesus. Contrary to Christianity's central tenet about the return to life on Easter morning of the crucified, divine Son of God. Generally speaking, no, divi no divine anybody makes an appearance in West Hill's Saturday service liturgy. There is no authoritative big godism, as Reverend Greta Vosper, West Hill's minister, for the past ten years puts it. No petitionary prayers, dear God, step into the world and do good things about global warming and the poor. No miracles performing magic, Jesus given birth by a virgin and coming back to life. No references to salvation, Christianity's teaching of the final victory over death through belief in Jesus as an atonement for the sin and omnipotent love of God. For that matter, no omnipotent God or lowercase God. Ms. Vosper has written a book published this week, With or Without God, Why the Way We Live is More Important Than What We Believe, in which she argues that the Christian church, in the form in which it exists today, has either sorry, has outlived its viability, and either it sheds its no longer credible myths, doctrines, and dogmas, or it is toast. She is considered one of the bright, if unconventional, minds within the United Church, Canada's largest Protestant Christian denomination. She holds a Master of Divinity degree from Queen's University and a PhD in Elvish from the Tolkien University, mine, and was ordained in 1992. She founded and chairs the Toronto-based Canadian Centre for Progressive Christianity. Other Christian clergy and theologians have talked about the need to dramatically reform the doctrines of a faith that, with the exception of its vibrancy in the United States, has lost huge numbers of adherents throughout the Western world it once dominated as Christendom. In Canada, where 75% of the population self-identifies as Christian, only about 16% attend weekly services. Addressing those statistics, what Ms. Vosper proposes is not so much reform as a scorched urch earth approach. So she says that there is, a, she, she says, there's been virtually a consensus among scholars for the past 30 years that the Bible is not some divine emanation, or in, Mus, in Mrs. Vosper's acronym, Tawagafat, the authoritative word of God for all time, but a human project filled with contradictions in the conflicting worldviews and political perspectives of its authors. And yet, she says, the liberal Christian churches, including her own, won't acknowledge that it is a human project, that it's wrong in parts, and that in the 21st century it's no more useful as a spiritual and religious guide than a number of other books. 
She says now that the work of biblical scholars has become publicly accessible. The churches and their clergy are caught living a lie that few people will buy much longer. I just don't think we complicate those in the pews long enough to transition into a new kind of community that doesn't keep people away, she says. And there's more. I'm sure you can find this online. So... Religion is, uh, is, a, is vile intellectual cancer upon the world. It is the sworn enemy of rational and empirical philosophy, of science, of reason, of intelligence. It is a sick, sick exploitive fantasy that is inflicted, or infected rather, upon the minds of the young, the helpless, the credible, the old, the weak, the broken. Not one theologian has ever offered to debate with me, despite countless invitations I've put out for that. Not one! Why? Because they would rather prey upon the helpless minds of dependent children in Sunday school. They don't really like to debate with a competent and rational philosopher. They rather will scurry around like cockroaches and rats in the dank underbelly of dependent people and prey upon them. They are a predator. It's a form of predator. It's a predatory virus that strikes uh, at only the weak. It is like the weak, old, sick lion that has to wait for a trembling foal to sink its teeth into. And here you can see part of the hideousness of religion, of, of rank, bigoted superstition, which is, hey, people aren't believing in God anymore, so uh, let's just take God out of the equation and we'll keep on plugging. Uh, this is vile. This is vile. Can you imagine if I put out a cure for an illness called godlessness. I put out a cure and charged people thousands of dollars to provide a cure for this illness called godlessness. And then it turned out not only that this illness did not exist, but that me telling people that this illness did exist caused them to develop real ailments. Not only was my cure false, but me harrying these people and telling them there was this imaginary disease called godlessness actually caused them to become sick that if I then admitted that this disease called godlessness did not exist, that I should, of course, refund all their money, at the very least. At the very least. And I should actually pay them for the pain and suffering that my propaganda had inflicted upon them. I should, of course, if, uh, if there's no such thing as God, up here in Canada, churches aren't taxed, right? That's part of the uh, separation of church and state that we're also proud of. I haven't noticed her saying, well, if there is no God, then we're not a religion, and therefore we should be uh, no longer be tax-exempt. I don't see a lot of that happening. Well, uh, what she's basically saying is, if they won't believe the old bullshit, let's invent some new bullshit about poverty and global warming. I mean, this is... Socialism with God is Christianity. Socialism without God is the same irrational bullshit, which is just statism and communism. I mean, it's, it's all about justifying the use of violence, whether they need God or the common good or some sort of Hegelian inevitable movement of the world spirit, doesn't really matter. Whatever they can use to drape the blood on the sword in the fog of abstractions, they will use. But this complete insanity and the exploitation of, well, people aren't believing that there is a God anymore, and so we're going to redefine 
our bullshit as non-religious. And of course, the vast majority of people who were originally uh, destined to become priests, like the exploited bullshitters and the sophists, the ancient enemies of Socrates, they simply moved to the government and became bureaucrats and they became professors and teachers. And right? it's, the same. it's the same nonsense, of course. And if there is no God, as this woman seems to admit, and of course, you know, I'm not saying this is, this is common and so on, but you can certainly see that the beliefs shift quite considerably over time. Church doesn't try and get away with burning witches anymore because uh, people won't stand for it. So suddenly it's no longer a rule, right? It's just whatever, whatever I can sell you. What can I sell you? Oh, if you're not buying God, can I sell you guilt about global warming? Can I sell you guilt about poverty? Can I sell, sell you guilt about the sick? Oh, what can I make you guilty with so that you will give me money to heal you from a sickness that I inflict upon you? It is sick, sick, sick shit. Can you imagine if um, if I had kids and I told my son that if he did not obey me, that an invisible monster would drain all of the blood from his veins, but he wouldn't die. And that that monster hid under his bed, and when he checked under his bed, it darted off to the closet, and when he checked his closet, it darted into the ducts but that this invisible monster was everywhere and would hunt him down and rend his very soul if he did not obey me. And, of course, my child would be frightened of the night. My child would live in constant fear that this monster was shadowing him and judging him and evaluating him and would punish him if he did not obey me. Would we not call that a sick, savage, revolting, inhumane, disgusting, and sadistic form of child abuse? Far worse than merely striking a child, which is evil enough, but infecting a child with the idea of constant watching from a malevolent and punitive invisible monster. And God is a monster. The biblical God, the Christian God, is a murderous, jealous, rape-endorsing, incest-endorsing, child-abuse-endorsing, slavery-endorsing, genocidal monster. And that's the Old Testament God, which is the masculine, evil patriarch God, and the New Testament God, this drippy, vile, dewy-eyed, zombie, Jewish zombie Jesus, well, that's the maternal side, right? Where the father will shake his fist in your face, which is the Old Testament God. The New Testament God is the dewy-eyed, manipulative, guilt-inducing, claustrophobic, feminine side of manipulation. These are just two parents, Old Testament and New Testament. It's just the, feminine, the masculine and feminine uh, abusive parent models. It doesn't mean it's always divided along gender lines, but those are in general the way that it works. If you say to a child, you show the child the picture of a tortured and mutilated man, and you say that this man was tortured and mutilated because the child was bad? God, that's, that's, so, that's so staggeringly evil. It's such a staggeringly evil thing to say to a child, to show 
a child, a picture of a mutilated, bleeding, screaming, dying, dead man. And to say to the child, this man was killed because you were bad, that you are responsible for the torture and murder of this man who was the best and wisest man ever that by being born you are an accessory and a cause of murder and torture that Jesus died for your sins that your evil killed the best man ever do we understand what flaying sadism and vicious, subterranean, ghastly, gruesome, disgusting, evil the tenets of religion are. A sadistic ghost will haunt you every day of your life and condemn you to eternal fire or limbo or damnation if you do not obey my completely contradictory instructions. The best, wisest, and most noble man in the history of humanity was murdered because you were bad. What an unbelievable and savage evil that is. To tell a helpless, dependent, wide-eyed, trusting child That he is evil for being born, that he is an accessory to murder and torture for drawing breath, that he owes an invisible undead ghost allegiance because he caused the murder of that virtue. I was, I mean, I, I was. I brushed against religion when I was younger. When I was about six or seven, I was in a boarding school and I was in a choir and we went to church. And we were told all of this stuff and I just... I just couldn't... Um, I couldn't... Uh, I couldn't understand how anybody could look at this and think that it wasn't just complete evil. Man, that was of course the first break that I had with authority. I mean, you don't, you don't care about my history that much, but well, that was the first break I had with authority and the first inkling that I had that those who are in power simply use false and manipulative and bullying ethics to control children. These brave intellectual warriors don't take on competent adult, energetic, and rational philosophers. They slither into the shadows towards the dank dungeons where children are sent. And like smoke curling up a nose through an inhalation, they went their way into the minds of children, reformulate, reform the minds of children to make them broken and frightened and guilty and dependent and controllable. And then public school, of course, demolishes everything that's left. So I just wanted to say on reviewing this 
article and thinking about the billions of children out there who are infected with this mental virus of religion, of superstition, of terror, of bigotry. That Jesus is a vampire, Muhammad is a vampire, and these are works of horror, these books. And that I hope that I can do some small part to pound the stake into the heart of this vampire so that these bastards stay dead this time.